we said, we're done. Mm. We're going to take him home and we're going to figure it out. And I will say it was the best decision we ever made because he thrived when we got him home. Hello, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. Today I have episode 61 with Erica Ryan, co-creator with her husband, Sean, of the Extended Hospital Stay Notebook for Parents. So about a year ago when they released the notebook, she sent me a copy so I could review it and share it. And when I received that, I was floored with this resource that they had created from their experience. And I knew that I wanted to interview her and have her on the show at some point and wanted to wait until the right season with the right theme. And here we are finally, almost a year later, in season four, which works really well with this topic. Next week, I will share her special topic episode all about extended hospital stays. And this week, we get to hear her story episode all about the inspiration for the notebook, her son, Wesley. Wesley was affected by Down syndrome. Now, anyone who's been listening for a while knows that this is incredibly ironic since that is the diagnosis I kind of secretly envy, very illogically. Kimball was misdiagnosed with Down syndrome in the very beginning when I was still pregnant with him, and I was envious of the community that they seemed to have in contrast with a rare syndrome. And I talk about that in episode 53 with Kara Riska, all about diagnosis jealousy, which I'll put a link in the show notes for if you want to go listen to that. And Erica actually told me off the hook that she related with that episode because she's always felt kind of on the periphery of Down syndrome and the community because her son, Wesley, because of her son's intense medical issues that apparently only 1% of the Down syndrome community usually experience. Um, He has a few rare conditions piled onto his Down syndrome diagnosis, including a short gut. So she is one of us. (laughs) Now, Wesley spent a total of 534 days, that's 18 months, in the hospital in his three years of life. He sadly passed away last April. In this episode, Erica shares a bit about their experience with his hospital stays, and we delve into their decision to switch him to comfort care and bring him home. We talk about her multifaceted grief for him and the ways that her faith has affected her journey with Wesley both before and after he passed away. Erica and her husband, Sean, live with their three sons, Connor, who is 12, Liam, who is 10, and Harrison, who is 7. She is a healthcare project manager and is a lover of family and organizing. We are kindred spirits. (laughs) All right, let's jump in. Hi, Erica. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to chat. And I would love if we could go ahead and get a brief overview of Wesley and a little bit about who he is. 
he was. grief will be heard with him <laughs> as I'm sure <laughs> with many people you talk to. So yeah. I would say Wesley is our sweet surprise mm. um, from the moment we found out we were pregnant to the, you know, the very end, everything about him has been just so sweet and always a surprise <laughs> for him. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he had many conditions. Um, so I'm not sure if it's easiest to go through kind of like where our journey has taken us, um, mm. the diagnoses that he's had. So Wesley came into our lives very unexpectedly. We were done having children mm. um, when we found out we were pregnant with the fourth. Um, and because we sold all of our stuff, we wanted to find out what gender he was. Mm. So came in the tests because I was over 35. So I was able to get some more tests and I did it just to find out the gender mm -hmm. so that we could start stockpiling all the things that we got rid of. <laughs> um, when that dreaded phone call came uh, in the middle of my work day, where they told us that he would have Down syndrome. Mm. Um, they were very confident he would have Down syndrome. Um, and of course, they give you all of the options, uh, which mm. none of those were options for us. We just accepted that he has Down syndrome. And of course, then the laundry list of other things that can happen with kids with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. Almost all of them with Wesley did happen. <laughs> so at our 20 week ultrasound, we found out that he did in fact have a heart condition that would require a surgery. So we did the most prepping that we could knowing that that would be the case with him. Came to birthday. He, he did fantastic. We had a very calm, very normal, typical birth what you would call wow. typical birth nurse right away. Mm. Um, and I was just like, we're going to be that family that other than the heart condition, nothing's going to be wrong. We're going to prove down syndrome. Isn't a big <laughs> deal. You know, mm -hmm. all of those, all of those things where you're just gung ho about it. Yeah. And about 30 minutes after he was born, the downward spiral of medical complications happened. He mm. needed oxygen he stopped nursing um, and we sat in the NICU for five weeks because they could not get him off of, and many in the medical community get this, 0.1 oxygen. Mm. It wasn't even a liter of oxygen. It was 0.1. It was like a whiff of oxygen and no one could mm. figure out why he needed that. Mm. Um, in that five weeks, we were transferred down to the bigger hospital, the bigger children's hospital. And that is when I got my introduction to how hospitals work mm -hmm. um, and understanding just the complexity there. So we did get to go home though. After five weeks in the NICU, we did get to go home. But what we found was that we were having other complications our big downward spiral happened shortly after that. He was home for about two months when, um, because of the complication that he had, which was fevering mm. due to the medication, um, we were told to keep him home as long as we could keep the fever under control and mm. under 103. Oh, wow. <laughs> which for most parents, <laughs> like you're like 103, I would take him to the hospital, but they told us 
as long as he didn't have any other symptoms, it's just the risk outweigh the benefits. So keep him home Wow. because we're trying to prepare for open heart surgery and we needed to get him to that moment. Mm. Um, we went to bed. He wasn't feeling all that great. Um, just the, the fever. So we held him all night long and then we started getting a little worried because then he was starting to get a little bit lethargic. Mm. So we strapped him in. Um, by the time we got to the hospital, his fever was 107.6. Oh my gosh. Um, he did obviously make it through that next surgery, but he then had a stroke. So now we're bringing in more, more doctors, mm, yeah. <laughs> neurology. And then we found out after months of trying to figure it out because the continued fevering happened. Mm. Um, he never stopped that whole fevering. So then of, of course we found out he had an endocrine deficiency. Oh. Um, so they're putting on a whole bunch of meds for that. And we basically jumped right into this stay, not knowing one, if he would survive and two, not knowing what life was going to look like. And I think that both of us kind of felt that, okay, well, if this is going to happen, then it's going to happen. Yeah. Like us, we've had that feeling throughout our journey with him is that in every moment throughout his journey, we know for a fact that we made the right decisions for him with the information that we had at that moment. Right. We don't have any regrets for any decisions we've ever made for him. Wow. Because we know that we asked all the right questions and we vetted as much as we could. And with what we knew was going on, it was the right decision for that moment. And we both always had that gut check feeling that it, mm. we were always on the same page, which I'm very fortunate to have that in my spouse. That's so cool that that confidence, like kind of carried you through all the different, you know, traumatic events where you could say as his parents, we've done everything we can and we're yeah. going to continue to do everything we can and just kind of guide him through this life. And, um, I think that's really beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. My, uh, planning, <laughs> my lack of planning, maybe, um, no, my over planning mm -hmm. kind of kicked in mm -hmm. where, I was like, okay, here's the plan. And I was coming up with the plan and I was like, okay, if we increase by X amount every day, then this is the date we can go home. And we're mm -hmm. not going to deviate from that process. And that is not how hospital life works. Yeah. Um, so we, we were there for 455 days before Wesley came home. In that time, mm -hmm. he had three open heart surgeries. He had mm. sepsis three times. Oh my um, he hit 108.4 degrees oh. where they said, say goodbye. Yeah. Um, he had gallbladder issues, which we're told only 0.1% of kids his age have gallbladder issues, need their gallbladder out. So all of those things compounded and after we had been there, it, very shortly after one year from the day that we were admitted, he had his third round of sepsis that knocked him so far down that they told us he would be comatose 
Hmm. pretty much the rest of his life that his new baseline was non-responsive. He would be completely dependent on us for everything. Hmm. Um, And that they didn't feel like, like he had a capacity for life. Hmm. Um, We basically had to make a decision. What is life going to look like? Um, They don't send kids home with arm pick lines. Hmm. It's a standard practice because of such high risk of infection. Mm -hmm. So basically they just wanted to keep him there. Um, And that was probably, I remember that day because Hmm. we were on the ICU side and we had been pushing to get home. We made goals, of course, Mm -hmm. um, for him. And our overarching goal was to just bring him home Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, because before it had been for so long, we were like, we need to get him off of TPN. He needs to be on full feeds before we can bring him home. That was the goal. And that line kept getting moved. Mm -hmm. And all of these compounding things, this, you know, the, the rareness of, you know, having a TPN deficiency because of short gut and then compounded the fact that his heart was not fixed. And then all of the rest of the issues that just come Mm -hmm. with having down syndrome and then the stroke and everything. I remember that day walking in to a care conference. We had been scheduling care conferences every single month, Mm -hmm. starting at about two months into the hospital stay. And during a care conference, for those people who may not know um, about those, it's where you actually get to have all the players in the room together, Mm. which is really rare to happen. A lot (laughs) of schedules to coordinate, a lot of busy people. (laughs) Yes. So we had been having these monthly care conferences. Mm. And I remember coming in with my book of questions, like I always had, And then basically saying, there are no other options. We've Mm -hmm. exhausted everything that we know. We've sent out second opinions to everywhere that we can. And we don't have any recommendations. Mm -hmm. And so we're not really sure what this looks like and what you guys even want for Wesley anymore. Mm. So... Sean and I had to make the decision. What do we do? Like, what does this look like? We knew for a fact, if we kept him in the hospital, he would die sooner rather than later Hmm. because just hospital life is hard and hospital life is life sucking (laughs) for, for, for a long time. (laughs) It is it walking in there every day, seeing other people where you're like, okay, their day could be worse, you know, Mm. but walking out of that care conference being like, I don't know if there's anybody who's having a worse day than us right now. Um, having that feeling was completely helpless. And Sean and I both decided we're taking him home. It's about quality over Mm. quantity of life at this point. And so we walked back into that hospital the next day and we're like, we're taking him home you need to figure out how to make that happen. Hmm. I don't care what the consequences are. Mm -hmm. 
we are taking him home. So figure it out. And for the next two months, we figured it out. You know, all of August and all of September, we did everything that we could. We had to sign too many waivers that I can even remember. We had signed a DNR. So DNR is do not resuscitate, right? Okay. Correct. Um, Because of everything he had been through and he had coded several times in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, We said, we can't put him through that. And we don't want to see the downward spiral after that. We've brought him back to life so many times and we know how hard of an uphill battle that is. Mm -hmm. Um, And he had been through it so many times Mm -hmm. and there was still so many hurdles that he had to go through that we said, we're done. Mm -hmm. We're going to take him home and we're going to figure it out. And I will say it was the best decision we ever made because he thrived when we got him home. Mm. He came to life and, you know, the transfer from hospital to home is a huge shift. So you have this perception in your mind that, oh, when we get home, things are going to be so much easier. And I will say you just switch out the hard stuff, you know, because (laughs) when you're in the hospital, we have that extra set of hands you know, Mm -hmm. doing a lot of the things, doing a lot of the care, doing a lot of the diapering and medications and making sure that everything's right. But when you get home, yeah, you're doing all of that stuff, but now you have the ease of being able to finally make your own decisions for your own kid. Yeah. For the first time, like I'm able to say, you know, I think he looks a little bit fluid overloaded and I don't have to consult somebody to change his medication for that moment, yeah, you know, oh, or the yeah. overhead capacity of, oh my gosh, am I going to get a phone call at any moment mm-hmm. um, that something's wrong? Oh yeah. So it's like that moment where you just switch that. <laughs> trading it, your hearts. <laughs> right. It's, it was yeah. trading your hearts. It really was. Um, mm. But the togetherness that you got finally being home and not having mm-hmm. to drive to the hospital every single day. Um, because my husband and I were still working full time mm-hmm. up until a few months before he came home. So we had both full-time jobs and three other boys in activities. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learned very early on a, a very wise friend that I met, um, told me, Erica, remember he is one sixth of your family mm-hmm. so while he's requiring the most attention and need you're still a family and he's still a part of that family and he needs to fit into the family. It's not all about Wesley, you know, it can feel Mm -hmm. like that. And yes, of course, you're going to do what you need to do for him. But at some point you have to remember that your older kids are going to remember this and Wesley never will. Mm -hmm. And that like was a load of pressure off of me. Mm -hmm. The fact that I could be at home with my kids and I could enjoy going to a soccer game and not feeling guilty about Mm -hmm. not being at the hospital 24 seven, because that's not what our family needed. And our boys remember us, you know, being there for them throughout the entire journey. They remember us making time to have those family nights at the hospital. We would order pizza and get popcorn and we would have a movie 
we would watch a movie in Wesley's room and we would all sit together and eat and have that normal (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, it looked different for us but we were there like the boys Mm. attended and were there and saw um, and participated in it so they felt involved all the time and like we were always this conducive family um, Mm. and not a disjointed one I love that so how many months was it from when you were able to bring Wesley home to when he did pass away? So he made it a year and a half. Wow. So, yes. Um, my husband and I, he had a couple of hospital stays just for colds and things. Mm. Um, and so it's funny because 2020 was our best year that we ever had. Wow. He had no hospitalization. He had so much progress in so many areas. Sean and I made some decisions because of them indicating that he would be this comatose child who would not have progress going forward. And mm-hmm. so Sean and I had made some decisions that we would start removing some medications that we didn't feel were necessary. Hmm. One of those had a major side effect of this lethargy and we didn't feel that he needed it. It was placed on him in a circumstance that was an extreme circumstance Mm -hmm. and it was left on by accident, I think. Oh man. But we pushed and we said, we want him removed from this. And they said, if you remove him from this, he will probably have a stroke or seizures and pass away at home. And we said, well, we're willing to take that chance because Mm -hmm. at this point we're already there. Like you're already telling us he's palliative. So if we get to see more of Wesley, then that's what we're going to see. Yeah, absolutely. And within three weeks of weaning the medication, because it was like an eight week wean, Mm-hmm. He came alive. Mm-hmm. He started laughing and he started rolling over and he started having head control mm-hmm. and he started interacting with our boys. Oh my gosh. And from then on, we couldn't stop him. He just completely thrived. And I look back on, I hate to say it this way, but the gift of COVID <laughs> yeah. because if COVID hadn't happened, I wouldn't have got to see as much of Wesley because working full-time, my husband was working, the kids were always gone, and we were always busy with activities. Mm-hmm. And the care of Wesley was becoming very hard mm-hmm. in those months. And when everything shut down, we got to just be a family, finally, because mm-hmm. we didn't get those opportunities to be a family for so long while he was in the hospital Mm -hmm. that we got to be together every single day, 24 hours a day, seven Mm -hmm. days a week. Um, I got to see him on my breaks from work. We didn't have activities packed in our schedule all Mm -hmm. the time. When we did go out, it was safe for Wesley to go out because so many other people were taking precautions that it actually enabled us 
to actually enjoy things like the zoo. You know, we could actually enjoy the zoo because it wasn't crowded um, or because you, you know, you had timed entry (laughs) and things felt safe. Um, And so it gave us that perspective of we got so much time with him and got to enjoy so much time with him because the world shut down Mm -hmm. that I'm so grateful that, you know, that his best year was that year that we got to actually fully enjoy him and have no regrets about like being too busy or that we didn't just spend time snuggling because that's what we did all the time when he was home. It's kind of funny that most people are like, oh, 2020 was terrible. And I'm like, 2020 was our best year that we had. That's so sweet. And I, you know, it's, it's having a child with these medical complexities. I feel like it always like, it just, it changes your perspective. Like it gives you this really like, I think a mature perspective where, you know, a lot of people were complaining about, man, I'm like, I can't stand my family. Like I'm with them all the time. And maybe there, there probably was a little bit of that because every family yeah. feels that way. But <laughs> I think it's just so neat to be like, well, if you know your child has a limited life, especially like you don't take that stuff for granted. Like being together as a family was so meaningful to you. And I think that's really, really beautiful. I think that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I look back now and yeah, I see that as a huge gift Um, Mm. because I always was that, okay, we've now checked this box. What's next on the list of things that he needs to progress after my spouse beating me over the head so many times with the slow down, slow down, it'll (laughs) be fine, you know, like Mm -hmm. take your time. Um, I think I never, so as a caregiver, you hear a lot of people say, I can never do what you're doing Mm -hmm. or I could never handle that. And until Mm -hmm. you're in the middle of, like I had no choice, right? I just dealt with it. But on the other hand, I don't think that as a caregiver, we give ourselves enough credit for everything we're actually doing. Absolutely. Because I will say that until Wesley passed away, I didn't realize how much I was doing until it wasn't there to do anymore. The mental exhaustion that I didn't realize I had, the mental overhead of just, well, what's gonna come next or oh my gosh, I have to remember to schedule that refill and then Mm -hmm. I have to pick it up or, oh, we need to make sure that those supplies, just like all that overhead capacity and then all of the doing, Hmm. all of the things that you used to do that were just habit of, you know, getting that feed ready or getting the TPN mixed um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, all of G-tube care and then the bath and, you know, just all the stuff that you do as a caregiver, you don't realize how much you're doing and how much it actually has an impact on you Mm -hmm. until suddenly it's not there. Yeah. Giving yourself credit for all of that. Like we are amazing. (laughs) I hate to say it. Yes. Amen. The medically complex kids are like the parents are amazing 
that do that. And of course we do it selflessly Mm. and we're going to do it, Mm. but just acknowledging that you are doing it on a day-to-day basis and how much strength that takes to just pick it up is astonishing. Yes. No, I totally agree. I think, you know, because I do hear a lot of parents saying things like, oh, people say, I don't know how you'd ever do that. But then like, well, you would do the same thing, which is absolutely true. But that doesn't take away from the gravity of it all. Like you're saying, like, it's just as astounding and astonishing what we can handle or we we have to handle and what we are able to do when you love someone like that, that amount, that unconditional love for a child. Um, I wonder, what is your grief like? I imagine it's pretty complex where you might feel this sense of relief even like of of all the cares all the worry like everything that you were doing but also missing him so much like what has your grief been like yeah so it's it's interesting because you're right I'm a very logical person analytical person and Mm -hmm. so I tend to look at logistics like Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm sad. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'd love to snuggle him every day. But I know, one, we did everything that we could for him, and he had the most awesome life. But two, I realize how much more we now have to give to our other kids. Mm-hmm. That because we were dealing with Wesley all the time, they were having to grow up a lot Mm -hmm. sooner than they probably needed to. And our youngest does have some social issues that I feel attributed to a lot. I mean, he was four when Wes was born. So he's only known hospital life. He's only known all this medical technology and all this Mm -hmm. medical equipment. And so being able to address that now because, because Wesley's not here. I know it sounds like <laughs> strange to say it like that. We're able to give the kids attention mm-hmm. that we need. And I don't want it to come off like, like our, they loved him mm-hmm. and they have their own grief that they're going through. But knowing how busy our lives are now, because you know, all the code restrictions have now lifted and we are busy all the time. I don't know how I would have been able to handle everything I was handling Mm -hmm. while doing all of the stuff I'm doing. I just, I look at it now and say, how did I do that? Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, so I guess, of course it's very sad that Wesley's not here, but yes, there's absolutely a sense of relief that he doesn't have to go through all of these medical appointments, all of these medicines being pushed in his body that our kids aren't having to watch all of that happen, that my conversations with my spouse don't revolve around medications and what is the next step. Um, And that life isn't circulated around these medical complexities, yeah. you know, the first thing that we did when 
Wesley passed, it, it wasn't even 12 hours. I threw every single medication of his away. I got rid of it all because I was like, that's the things that stressed me out. Yeah. And those are the things I didn't want to see. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to see the feed bags and the gate trainer and the stander and that like all of the medical stuff, you know, we Mm -hmm. got rid of the oxygen within three days of him passing because Mm -hmm. that was all the stuff that stressed us out Mm -hmm. because I wanted to be able to hold on to all the stuff that made us happy and all Mm -hmm. the stuff, all the stuff that he accomplished and Mm -hmm. overcame. So being able to, being able to separate his medical stresses from his person Mm -hmm. has been probably the biggest sense of relief in my grief, at least, Hmm. because those are the things like the relief was the medical stuff has gone. Yeah. The medical complexities are gone and the medical overhead is gone but then it's just that typical grief of my child yeah and I will say as far as our personal situation you know other people have lost kids I have a full-time job so I was able to kind of dive back in and at least control something in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you've talked about it in other podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was like as a project manager in my job, like I was able to dive into controlling something, timeline to something, putting my check marks to something every day, mm-hmm. and being able to dive back into our kids' lives and just having those outlets. And we had other kids that mm-hmm. we just had to keep going for. Yeah. And that was one of the things it's um it's a weird feeling because when he came home right before he came home after that long hospital stay, we had actually already planned his funeral. Oh, wow. So having to have a conversation with your spouse on, well, do you want to be cremated or buried? Mm -hmm. And where do you want to be done at? Because we were having to make those decisions for us so that we could make the right decisions for Wesley, Mm -hmm. because if we were going to be buried, then we needed to get three plots. Yeah. It's those compounding things that you never think that you're going to have to make. (sighs) And because we knew when it happened, we wanted to be the ones there for our kids. Yeah. We didn't want to be shoving them off on somebody else during the process. We wanted to be in the thick of it to be the ones answering all of the boys' questions Mm. throughout the entire process. And we're very grateful that we were able to do that after his passing Mm. because we were able to just lay in bed with the kids and answer our seven-year-old's typical grief questions of answering the same question over and over mm-hmm. and over again, because that's how they understand grief. Yeah. So the main thing is just, you're able to separate the medical grief and that relief mm-hmm. to the person that has big difference and being mm-hmm. able to understand and feel okay with grieving for him and my sadness, mm-hmm. but being okay with the relief that comes from the overhead. 
That makes so much sense because you're right. I think that the way you categorize that is very logical. And I think that would be a good way to, because I was thinking about, it, I was like, man, I think I would feel relieved in so, you know, a sense like you were talking about, but then maybe feel this guilt for feeling relieved. So I love how you're able to like separate the two and be like, no, it makes sense. It totally makes sense that I feel relieved <laughs> of, of the burden of the medical care, but I miss my son. And I, yeah. in your Instagram, I loved that post you, you talked about, um, you know, where Wesley is now and, you know, and where you believe he is now. And, um, I would love to hear a little bit more about that and like how your faith, um, has helped you through this as well. Yeah. So I know no one wants to hear it in the middle of things (laughs) when you're in the depth of like being tired and overwhelmed in the hospital and someone comes and tells you, there's a reason for everything. <laughs> it's not helpful. Right. It's not helpful to be told that. However, I knew deep down that there was a reason. Mm. And that I knew that God had a plan for whatever was happening. And that there were going to be good that happened out of it. Mm. And I had no clue what that would look like. And I did not feel it at all during the process of, Mm. well, what is that good? No clue. But I just had this overwhelming sense of peace that it would reveal itself one day, whether here or in heaven, it would make sense to me on why everything happened the way it did. Um, And throughout the process, I mean, of course, your emotions get to you. And there are times throughout the hospitalizations that, of course, I second guessed whether or not I was the right parent or Mm. that I could handle it or that we were making the right decision. But as soon as I thought that, I immediately had that peace afterwards. Like, no, Mm. no, Erica that's not the case. There's something good going to happen out of this. Nothing happens to you without a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of had that hope and faith that one day I would figure it out. And I had heard something one time from a friend that there are more days in eternity that I'll get with Wesley Mm -hmm. than I have on the earth. So, you know, I'm going to get more than three years in eternity with Wesley. Mm. And so this was just the introduction to Mm. that journey that I get with him because of my faith in Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done for me, I get to enjoy that forever Mm. with Wesley. And that overwhelming piece that Wesley knew nothing but love his entire life. Mm. There was not one day that he wasn't, that he was loved. And there was not one day where he didn't radiate this sweet brightness or light out of him, even Mm. in the middle of sepsis or even in the middle of 
feeling terrible where you and I would be, we would not be having what was going on to There'd us. No glow. <laughs> right. There'd be no glow. And to see him mm. have this charisma, even without being able to speak, mm. um, have this instant charisma to draw people in and to him who had never met him just through, you know, social media posts or things like that to hear that not only I felt that, but that so many other people did is a testimony to not only him, but part of his purpose in life mm-hmm. is to radiate that faith and that there is more to life than what culture tells us there is. Mm-hmm. I love that. Cause you know, a lot of times, um, that, mentality of like oh don't judge my child's quality of life just because it looks differently than yours you know that is said you know quite often by parents but to hear that even in death like even like Wesley passed away and yet he still is an example that there's more to him and more to life than just what he lived and I you know I think that's that's so awesome I really love that yeah so thank you so much, Erica, for you know being really vulnerable and sharing your journey and, and Wesley with us and just you know the the nitty-gritty and the awesome and all of it. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You can find adorable photos of Erica and her family on the website, therarelifepodcast.com. You can also find Erica and me on Instagram and links for those accounts are in the show notes as well as a link to the episode we referenced episode 53 diagnosis jealousy there's also a link to her website with the extended hospital stay notebook she created if you want to get a head start and looking into that join us next week as Erica gives her top three pieces of advice for hospital stays she is a wealth of information Don't miss it. See you then.